Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, if you're not already there. And let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Wes has read the whole chapter. We are going to uh, finish this evening with chapter 1 and read verses 15 to 23 that serves as our text tonight. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable grace or greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in us in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for your word and we thank you that you speak to us through what you have already spoken. And that would be my request tonight that we would hear from you. So would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you plant these truths deep within our hearts and may we be different as we leave? We ask for your spirit to illuminate the word to us this evening. Bless the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned to the children... um, When I was coaching basketball, the phrase, keep your head up, was very common. And I would use it in two ways. As I mentioned to the kids, I would use it to encourage them when they got their daubers down. Uh, When they would hang their heads, when things seemed to overcome them and they didn't see, it didn't seem like they were going to be able to dig themselves out or if they had, uh, if they had committed an error of some kind or turned the ball over. Uh, But there was another way that I used um, this, this phrase. There were times that I would have to encourage them to keep their head up because inevitably at some point during the game, someone would become very preoccupied with themselves and they would get the ball and begin to dribble and they would stare down at the ball as they dribbled and never get their head up. And a couple things were going on there. They were either preoccupied with their own lack of confidence and worried that they were going to turn the ball over in some way. Or they were overly preoccupied and fond of what they believed to be their skill. And they would, their their attention would be solely focused on the ball. And as you can imagine, if their head is down, what are they missing? They're missing everything else that goes on. And so I would have to encourage them to get their head up because we would not be able to reach the goal that we had to score If we were all not involved, and in particular, if if one person was preoccupied on what they were doing, uh, well, to the detriment of everybody else. 
And as I told the kids, I, I really think that this is what Paul is doing. Paul is, in writing this letter, is doing both of these things. He's encouraging them when, when they might be discouraged. Uh, not only in that moment as they're hearing that letter, but as that letter would circulate and they would recall back to the things that Paul had said, it would encourage them uh, in times of disappointment and so forth. But it was also a time to, to encourage them to keep their head up because it's very easy... In the midst of discouragement, in the midst of sin, in the midst of life, the circumstances of life, to become very um, introspective and focused solely on ourselves. We can come, become very preoccupied with ourselves and miss the larger picture. We can become so preoccupied with who we are and our struggles and our sin and our disappointment that we begin to view the world around us through that lens and we miss all that God might have for us in terms of the bigger picture. And Paul is writing to say not only to keep your head up in the midst of disappointment, but not just to pick your head up at random or just um, for no purpose, but to pick their head up and look to the Lord Jesus. To pick their head up and to look to God. To look outside of themselves and to see God for who He is. And, and we think back, because what's, what's going on? We've been in, the, in this chapter 1 and he's written through the greeting and we just finished that longest sentence uh, in, in Ephesians and really in the Bible where Paul has focused their attention on who they are in the Lord Jesus. He's expressed to them, uh, you know, talked about their, uh, every spiritual blessing that, that is theirs in Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he begins to give a short list of what those blessings are. And he spoke, we saw this last week, he, he wrote of the purpose of the Father. And that the, the Father had chosen them uh, to be holy and blameless before Him in love. Uh, that the Father had, had determined beforehand that that's who they would be in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had, he had set that plan in motion that they would be elect. He lays out before them not only the purpose of the Father, but the predetermined work of the Son. And it was through the Lord Jesus Christ who, uh, that they had redemption and forgiveness. He had provided the grounds for their forgiveness. And He ensured an inheritance that would be not only theirs to come, but was theirs now. And then He also spoke of the ministry of the Spirit, through which, uh, as they believed, they were sealed and that inheritance was being kept for them. And, and all this was found. He, he writes, all this is found because the Father chose to love you. And has placed His favor upon you. And because you have been placed in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things are yours because they are Christ's. And you have them in Him and for His glory and for His sake. And as soon as He kind of puts a period at the, at the end of that, He breaks into prayer, or at least he breaks into uh, the description of a prayer, but really a prayer for them, for the Ephesians. And by doing so, he tells them, I, I want you to keep your heads up. Don't get down. Don't get discouraged when things are tough, when, when, when you fail, when the circumstances feel overwhelming and difficult, and when you face persecution. He says, I'm praying that you will keep your head up. Keep your head up, take your focus off yourselves, put it on God, and by doing so, your perspective is going to change. 
And so what we're going to do as we walk through this tonight, we're going to do what we've been doing, and we're going to look at this as if we have been the latest to receive the letter that's been passed around. How can we be encouraged? How can we read through this and see and understand two things? One, the the occasion of the prayer. There's a reason for the prayer. And then the uh, order of the prayer or what it is that Paul or how it is that Paul prays for them. So let's start first at the occasion in verses 15 and 16. He writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... Paul has just finished, again, describing who they are in Christ. And he says, because of all that God has done for them, because of their faith in the Lord Jesus, because of the love that he sees them exhibiting toward one another, he breaks out into prayer. You know, the thought of all that God has done for them is overwhelming in and of itself. But the fact that they continue to believe and, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow after him. And the fact that all of, all of what Christ had done for them um, turned into and, and, and began to exhibit itself in love for each other. You know, that, that love, be, prayer became, became a natural byproduct of seeing that go on. The truth of the gospel was having a very profound effect in the lives of the Ephesians. It was being worked out day after day. They were believing and clinging to Christ. They were loving each other. Uh, their Their union with Christ was working out into communion with Christ. And their union and communion with Christ led to a union among one another, which led to a communion with one another. Everything was tied together. And Paul's natural response was to pray. And notice he says, I pray unceasingly. Now, it doesn't mean that he stops or doesn't stop. But it means that when he does stop, he continues again. And that the prayer isn't sporadic, but it's, it's regular and it's generous in terms of how regular it is. Because he takes a step back and he, think, he, he hears about what's going on. You know, that, that love within his heart for these people that he spent time with and lived among. I mean, his heart just begins to... Again, he's been lavished with grace himself. He's been lavished with the love of God through Christ. And so have they. And he just naturally breaks out into prayer. Now, I, I pause at this point during this week and... and because I was struck with something and I asked myself a question and I want to ask you now that you're here with me this evening. And that question was this, when you pray, when I pray, when you pray, when we pray, um, what are the circumstances of our prayers? What brings us to that point of praying for one another? And I'll be honest, as I thought about that, and I think if we, were, if we were sitting down and having coffee with one another and we were face-to-face and I asked you that question, what are the circumstances of your prayers, chances are pretty good that we would say, well, I typically pray for others when things aren't going very well. I typically pray when sin rears its ugly head or when there's an illness or a disease of some kind or when our finances are low or I've lost a job and or circumstances are at their worst and the struggles of life and we're being tossed about in the storms of life and when our faith is weak and our energy is low, we pray for one another. And we should. Absolutely we should. 
It's part of bearing one another's burdens. It's part of praying for one another. It's a part of coming alongside one another and and carrying those things for one another and, and bringing each other into the presence of God and interceding on their behalf. And we should do that. Without question. But here, notice, Paul is remembering the positive blessings of their salvation. He's remembering how that, and because he's heard how that's working itself out. And so he's hearing how they've been graciously affected by the gospel and by the Lord Jesus to the point that they're loving one another and they're remaining true to what they believe. And it's manifesting themselves in that care and support of one another. And the, the rhetorical question really is for us is, shouldn't we do the same? As, as we think about and as we hear about what's going on in those positive things that are going on in our lives and we're, we're, we're encouraged by those things, shouldn't those be the times as well that we burst forth into prayer? Well, that leads us to the order and it makes a little more sense when we think of how he begins this prayer. What is it that he launches into prayer? What, how does he do that? What does that look like? Well, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He obviously hears about what's going on, and again, his heart wells up, and so he begins to unceasingly pray with thanks, thanking God for what he has done in and for them and is now doing through them. He prays thanking God for for the results of of their salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, He Thanks them because he knows that both their continued faith and belief and that outworking of love to one another, he knows that that, both of those things are a result of that overabundance of grace that they have experienced. That lavishing of grace. And he thanks God because he knows who they are and what they're doing. And both of those things are a result of his work in their life. And I don't know about you, but I read this. Sometimes I've read it and I thought, man, these, these Ephesians had it all together. They, they, they really must be doing well. I mean, Paul thanks them for their faith in Christ. And it seems to be strong and unwavering. Uh, he says he's thankful for their faithful service to the Lord. It must be, it must have, somehow that must be just steadfast and immovable, to, to quote Paul in 1 Corinthians Uh, They're loving each other. They must be meeting every spiritual and emotional and physical need possible. I mean, why else would Paul break out into that? They must have it all together. And it would be possible to think they, they must be doing these things perfectly. When the truth of the matter is, they weren't. Now, we've already said that there's not this one definable, really definable problem that Paul's addressing in this letter. But... As we read the letter, we can get an idea of some of the things that might be taking place. When we read through the letter, we, we see that they're not, they're not these glaring issues, but we can gather that you know, some are uh, wrestling between grace-based and works-based salvation. There are probably some who are wrestling and struggling, definitely wrestling and struggling with unity between Jews and Greeks within the church. So we've got a little racial thing going on. We, can, we see that some were dealing with temptations to revert back to former lifestyles. We can also see as we read that there were some that were dealing with issues within their marriages and within their homes. Some were dealing with things at work. And of course we know they were dealing with sin. 
That's just an ongoing issue. So they weren't perfect. So they weren't without their problems. And yet, Paul begins with thanksgiving. He begins with the positive. Why? Because as we said last week, he's cheering them on. They're on this race of faith. This journey of faith. And he's, he's standing there cheering them on. Wishing them well. Encouraging them as they go. He focuses on the positive rather than the negative. And he's actually putting into practice something that he desires for them and from them. As we re- he's, he's choosing to focus on who they are in Christ. And the blessings of their union. Uh, of who they've been declared to be. Of their standing before the Father as holy and blameless. As those who have been. Re- uh, and we'll talk particularly in chapter 2. You know, they've been set free from their sin. So they've been redeemed. And they have security and hope. And he does all that rather than focus on the negative. Rather than focus on the struggles with sin and circumstantial issues. And he's not denying their existence. He's not acting like they're just not there. He's simply saying, keep your head up. Keep your head up. Don't get discouraged. He, he's letting them know, I pray for you. I mean, you know how this feels. He says, I pray for you all the time. I pray for you all the time, thanking God for you because of all that He has done for you and how that is working itself out, uh, out in your communion with one another. Great job. And so back to my earlier thought. As we think about this, uh, when do we pray for people? Primarily during difficult times. And again, we should, we must. That's definitely not a bad thing. But why do we only focus on the negative? Why do we only pray in those negative times? I think as, if we're honest, we'd have to say it's because our tendency is to focus on the negative Our tendency is to focus on what needs to be corrected and what needs to be fixed. Why? Because we naturally gravitate to our own efforts and the efforts of others when it comes to our justification, sanctification, and assurance of our salvation. That's that's just the default. And so if our default is always to focus on our own efforts and the efforts of others in those areas, it's natural that we, we look to that, those negative things, those, um, to, to the sin, to, to the failures. We spend more time instructing and correcting than we do cheering. And what happens, we can allow the sin and the imperfections and the shortcomings and the struggles and the trials and temptations to cloud our vision and to become a horrible lens through which to see the world around us. We lose sight. Really, we lose sight of what Christ has done for us. And don't get me wrong, we're going to get, as we move to the rest of the letter, right? There is a time for expectations. There are times for admonishments. There's, there are times for corrections. There are times for accountability. There are times um, to, to instruct and correct. I mean, Paul even tells Timothy, who was sent to this church, he, he tells him you know, that the Word of God is exactly for those things. So it's not that he's in denial of those things, but remember, in the, even in the overall structure of this letter, 
in the overall structure, what does Paul do? Right? The imperatives all follow the indicatives. In other words, the commands all follow the declarations of who they are. And we struggle with this. We, we say, well, you know, we, we'll leave here tonight thinking, you've only spoken about who we are in Christ. Well, that's where we are in the passage. We're reading the letter together. Let's focus on who we are as Paul, Paul is focusing on who they are. He's reminding them of who they are, who they've been declared to be. And he thanks God for it. And I believe we should all consider following his lead. Well, that leads to the second part of the prayer, the, the intercession, praying for them. Look at verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Paul's request is twofold. One, I, I want you to grow I'm praying that you will grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you will understand more fully about who He is and what He's done for you. Remember the last, you know, verse 3 to 14. I want you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of those things. He says, and your knowledge of that, your, your growth in that, your understanding of that is dependent upon the Spirit. There's disagreement about whether the word spirit there should be capitalized or not. But the bottom line is that he's asking God on their behalf to make it so. He's asking that the spirit would lead them into all truth. He acknowledges that it's the spirit's work to do that. If we're going to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus and grow in our knowledge of God, we are in need of the spirit to do that. Any knowledge that we have, understanding that we have of God is not because we were smart enough to figure it out. It's because He has made that possible. And second, He wants us to grow not only in our knowledge, but in our affection. That's what He means when He says, I want the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened. He wants us to grow in our affections. He wants us to desire what God desires. He wants us to love what God loves. And so those two things naturally go hand in hand. I want you to grow in your knowledge. And as you grow in your knowledge, I want you to grow in your love. And so as you get to know Him more, the more you will fall in love with Him. The more you will have a desire for Him. And the more that you have a desire for Him and love Him, the more you will want to get to know Him more. And that's the back and forth and the, and the moving and the flow that He wants there. And because He wants them to grow in their knowledge and understanding of Him and to grow in their, in their affections for Him, He doesn't just leave that there. He begins to, to go in, into little more, uh, to move away from a general place into a more specific place. And so in verse 18, He says that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable grace of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in us when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet and gave to Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, I hope you know we could spend at least two months just here in the remainder of this chapter. And so some of you are going to be frustrated that we, can't, we just can't do that. 
um, I encourage you to go back in, in, in the course of your week and the ladies in their Bible study and, and in your own study and, and with your families to delve into this a little deeper. So I'm going I'm to stay pretty much on the surface here, but there are three things that he wants them to grow in their knowledge of and their affection of. And the first is the hope of God's calling. In other words, I want you to understand more fully of God's call on you, his election of you, his salvation of you, and the hope that is, that is present in that. And that's both objective and subjective. In other words, is there is an objective hope because of our salvation. There is an objective hope because of what is to come in the consummation of all things. That is our objective hope. And he speaks of that specifically in verse 10, when all things are united under Christ. But there's also a subjective hope, and that is that, that confident expectation that we feel and that we understand because of our knowledge of who we are in the Lord Jesus. We have a confident expectation. It is an affection. So he's praying for both of those things in the hope of God's call. Secondly, he's praying that they would grow in their knowledge of the riches of God's inheritance. And this is pretty much a two-parter as well. He wants them to grow in their understanding of what we've covered in toward uh, verses 13 and 14. He says, I want you to understand that there is an inheritance waiting for you. Peter says it's unfading and it's being kept for you. And so we think of, again, that Revelation 21 and all that's coming. And we have that inheritance and that's part of that. But he also wants them to understand that they have been made a part of God's inheritance. In other words, they have been drawn in and made a part of God's treasured people. They are his inheritance. And listen to how F.F. Bruce puts this. He says that God should set such high value on a community of sinners, rescued from perdition and still bearing too many traces of their former state, might well seem incredible were it not made clear that he sees them in Christ. As from the beginning he chose them in Christ, Paul prays here that his readers may appreciate the value which God places on them. And again, on them because of their union with Christ. So they not only have an inheritance waiting for them, they are a part of an inheritance as God's chosen people. And thirdly, he prays that they would grow in their understanding of the greatness of God's power. And again, we could spend months even here. And he, to, help every, to help us, to help his readers, to help those in Ephesus understand what he's talking about, the greatness of his power, he does that in a couple of ways. One, he just starts amassing these words, right? So we've got words like immeasurable greatness, power, working, strength, might. So he's trying to communicate this thought that this power is beyond description. Yeah, I'm not, he, you know, it's almost like he's saying, I, I cannot really explain this fully to you. And so he moves beyond this amassing of words to then saying, this is the only way that I can do this. He says, you know that power that raised Christ from the dead? You know that power that placed Christ above all authority? You know that power that gave Christ to the church as its head? That's the power that I'm talking about. That power that, that we see in the life death and resurrection of Christ. It's that power that seats Him as its head so that He fills the church and He exercises authority over the church. He provides life and power to the church. He said it's that power that's at work within you. And I pray, He says, I, you can just 
It's just oozing. I pray that you grow in your understanding of that. I pray that you grow in, in, in your eyes of your heart. You begin to just fall in love, so deeply in love with him because of that power that is work, at work within you. And so he's saying, keep your head up. Keep your head up. He's encouraging and cheering on the church. And as he does that, he's, he's using that second use that I was talking about with, with my team. He says, look, I want you to keep your head up. Don't be discouraged. And how do we not get discouraged? How do we, how do we get ourselves out of that? Well, we do that by, by changing the focus of our attention. And looking up to what all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes upon Him. Because that same power is at work within you. So let me, let me conclude with these three things. First, I, I want you to know that I've been praying this prayer for you. And not in this Jabez way. Sorry. But praying for you because Paul... He's broken into that when he, when he thinks about them. And when I've thought about you this week, both individually and corporately, it's just my, my heart has been drawn to pray this on your behalf, that you would grow in that knowledge and understanding of who God is and all that He's done for you. That, you, that your affections, the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened to that truth, that you would understand more fully the greatness of the power that is at work within you. And that when you're down and when you're discouraged, that you, would, that you would be mindful of that. And the Lord Jesus would bring these truths to your mind so that your head might come up. That you might live in the light of His grace. Secondly, I, I want you to hear me say, even tonight, to, to keep your head up. To be encouraged. As Paul would say, no matter what you're facing, no matter if it's spiritual or physical or emotional, uh, internal, external, circumstantial, He is, He has promised, He is at work within you. He's at work within you. And He is going to see it through. He's going to finish what He started. And there isn't anything too great that His power can't work through and overcome. Look to Him. Look to the one to whom you've been united. You are in Christ and His Spirit is within you. Know Him. Love Him. Rest in His work for you. Rest in who He is. Trust in Him and His power. And then finally, I I wish we would make a concerted effort to look at and to interact with each other as those who are in Christ. I wish as we would interact with one another and spend time together here and throughout the week and it, as we just contemplate one just as, as the Lord brings each other to mind, but especially in our face-to-face interactions, that we would begin to see each other more so as holy and blameless, having been adopted and redeemed and forgiven. Seeing each other as those who are in Christ. And what would happen in our church and in our marriages, in our relationships, if we began to see each other more and more in that way? See each other as being blessed in that union. And may we treat each other accordingly as that grace that's been lavished on us that we would then lavish it upon others. And may we be grateful and thankful to God continually for one another. 
And may this prayer not only be something that Paul prayed for the Ephesians and that I've prayed for you, but that we would pray for one another. And may may He be glorified and the Lord Jesus exalted and may it be for our good as we do. Let's pray together.